welcome everybody here. If you're if you're new here, um, I'm so so happy that you can join us. This is a great morning to start going to church. If this is your first time here, um, because you've you've jumped in at a, at a fresh point, because we're going to embark on a journey, a journey, guys. We're going to be here for a minute through the Gospel of John. This is easily one of my my favorite writings, and I meant that warning by the way. We're going to be here for a minute. When I first started going to church here. Um, in 2016, uh, Chris was in the Gospel of Mark, and really, I think he still is. It's just, did we ever finish? I don't know. <laughs> it felt that way. So buckle up. <laughs> we're going to be going through this. We may take a break here and there just to, you know, catch our breath, but we're going to be going through the whole Gospel of John. Our teaching text for today is John, uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I know that I just read verses 1 through 18, uh, and those are kind of a prologue. And we're going to break that up into probably four parts over the next, over the next weeks. But a brief intro before we, we dive in. Uh, the last couple of Sundays, I've, I've said there's three questions that you should ask when you're reading Scripture, and those are who is speaking, who is being spoken to, and what is being said. So the first question right here we have is, is who is John? You know, this is the Gospel of John. Who is John? John wrote the Gospel of John, the book of John in the New Testament. John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and he witnessed many of Jesus' miracles firsthand. The book of John is his own retelling of these events. And when you know and understand all that Jesus did, all of the other writings in the library of Scripture will make so much more sense. I don't know how many of you have opened a Bible and started at Genesis and stopped at Genesis because a lot of people die in the begats. I'm just saying. There are many references to the coming Messiah that, that we read in the Old Testament. And these are far easier to spot and understand with the knowledge of, of Jesus and his life and ministry that, that this book provides. So considering that our faith is, is rooted in the life and miracles of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us on, on the cross... The book of John is actually a great place to start. So, like I said, if you're new here this morning, you picked a good morning. And I saw some new faces, so cool. It's an answered prayer. <laughs> this book is, uh, is unique in so many ways in comparison to the other Gospels, and, and we're going to lean into that real quick. Let's look at how the other Gospels introduce themselves to the reader. Matthew 1.1 reads like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. I'll stop right there. Mark 1, 1 through 3 reads like this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Luke 1, 1 through 4 reads like this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too have decided to write an orderly account so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, to be clear, um, I'm not picking on the other Gospels. 
And I don't mean to be dismissive of, of Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Each of these are, are methodical and purposeful in their own right and to their own degree, but none of them jump off the page, in my opinion, or grab the attention of the reader, quite like the Gospel of John. So one more time, just those first five, five verses. John 1, 1 through 5 reads like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So from the gate, John tells us, the reader, to answer that second question or third question who's being spoken to, that he's not about to give Jesus' family lineage. He's no, he has no intention of telling of the Messiah's prophesied arrival, and he certainly has no interest in providing a detailed or scholarly uh, account. John tells us immediately that Jesus has been here since the beginning of everything, that Jesus was with God and is God. That Jesus is the author of life, that all things were created through him, that without him nothing was made that has been made, that in him was life. And the life that he possessed is the light of all mankind. That's the light that burns in here and in there, in me and in you. Amen. And he tells us this. He tells us that this light shines in the darkness and that the darkness has not overcome it. That is how we are introduced to this book. Now, let's unpack this just a little bit. Some of the first things that might stand out to you, or at least they stood out to me, are these. The use of the phrase, in the beginning. The three uses of the term, word, in the first sentence. And the light that is the light of mankind. The light that the darkness has not overcome. So let's start with that first one. We have this familiar phrase, in the beginning. And instantly, we're brought back to the first three words, of the Bible in the book of Genesis. Verse 1 of the book of Genesis reads like this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The use of that phrase, in the beginning, tells us something about the subject, the word. It points to the fact that we aren't looking at a specific point or moment in time. It kind of indicates that the word predates time. It assumes this timeless eternity that it was present at the onset of what we understand as creation. The second thing, that term word is used three times, and, and I know that I'm not breaking new ground here by pointing this out, but if you're, if you're not familiar with the text, it's important to understand that the word is capitalized. So the first letter in word is capitalized, making it what? A proper noun. Any English teachers? I'm trying to get some points here. A proper noun, like a name or a title. Three times the word is mentioned. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The first mention establishes that the word does indeed predate time. It was present at the onset of creation. The second mention establishes distinction. The word was with God. It's a little, uh, little comparison here. It's, it's, it's quite possible that 10 years ago, my wife and I were in the same restaurant at the same time. We were both present at the same time and space. But that doesn't certainly mean that we were there together, yeah? We weren't there with one another. And that's, that's not the case when we read this. 
The text reads, the word was with God. One commentary that I study from states that this term, the word was with God, can be better translated in the literal sense as face to face. Meaning that the word and God, they aren't just occupying the same space or time, but that they're intimately connected, that they share personhood, that there is a close and profound coexistence. And the third and last mentioning, the word was God, is a confirmation and a segue to a change in our understanding of what the word is. The one we know as the word is he. Verse 2 reads, he was with God in the beginning. And it doesn't take but a short description for us to receive the truth that he is the author of life. Through, all him, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And that brings us to our last focal point right here, the light. Verses four and five read like this. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's talk about that life, that light. In him was life, the text reads. And we have a pretty good concept, yeah, or like understanding of, of what life is, right? We understand that we can look around this room and we can see that each of us is drawing breath and we can see that we have life, right? That's our concept of life. Well, when scripture says in him was life, that's a different, a different concept entirely. And here's why. One more time, verse 4 reads, In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. In you is life. In me is life. But our lives are not our own. We exist on, on, on what maybe we refer to sometimes as a borrowed time. Now, that's an inaccurate statement, but it's one that we use frequently. It's not borrowed, it's, it's a gift. The life that we have in us is a gift from the source of that light. None of us, not one of us, can speak life into existence. Even if we have the ingredients and instructions on how to bring life into the world, there is no guarantee of creating new life. But he is the author of life. And he does speak life into existence. Amen. Verse 5 reads, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And it's interesting that this book opens with a callback to creation in Genesis, and, and verse 5 closes with this subtle callback to the same book. Genesis 1, 1 through 4, reads like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. Let's look at these, these parallels of these two verses just real quick, and, and we'll move on from there. God saw that the light 
was good, and he separated the light from darkness. That's the first half of our parallel. The second half is this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome it. We might say that this life, this light, isn't merely the breath that we draw or the rhythm of our pulse, but that it's the goodness of mankind. We know immediately upon reading the first few words of Genesis that the light is good. The light is good. God said so. The light is good. And he also said that it's to be separated from the darkness. And if we read closely the last few words of John 1, 5, we know that the darkness, well, it must be engaged in some sort of struggle to overcome the light. Because it says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, why would the darkness overcome the light if it weren't trying to? Now, all this, all this is well and good. Hopefully, we, we've learned a little bit so far about the context and the translation or the implication and the purpose of these five verses. But what's our part? How does it apply to us? How can I use this? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. This morning, I spent some time in silence and solitude for the first time in a, in a good long while. And I prayed this simple prayer. It's one sentence. It was all that I prayed this morning. I just prayed, God, what would you have of me? And I sat there for some time. I, I, I've shared in the last few weeks, you know, and it's, this is your problem as well as my problem. I know a lot of you very well. That, that when we are speaking, we're not so much engaged in an exchange. We're just waiting for our turn to talk. And this is why... We quoted Tozer last week in, in the importance of finding that quiet place and letting all the noise of the world just shh. And when it comes back, you have to just shh one more time. I've got a loud brain, and it doesn't like to give me peace. And I sat there for some time just quieting and requieting my brain after I'd prayed that one-sentence prayer, God, what would you have of me? And after sitting there for some time, I received an answer. And the answer was this. When you find the time to ask the question, full stop, that's the sentence. When you find the time to ask the question, I don't know what, I didn't know what that meant. And I, and I felt so good going into this time of, of quiet like, oh, I'm, I'm finally doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm finally practicing what I preach. And I sat there and I sat there and I, I got an answer from God and, and I didn't know what it meant. But I do now. And so will you in a few minutes. I was uh, 
talking to a good friend of mine last night right out here in the driveway. And we both mentioned the struggle of sharing the gospel in that it's not always well received. Sometimes it's not received at all. Or even worse, someone will claim to have received the gospel, but they really haven't. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I'm not trying to take somebody else's inventory, but come on. We all have those friends. Maybe we're that friend. And what we were talking about is how dangerous that is. And here's what's interesting, is that it's not just that it's dangerous for that person, but it's dangerous for us too. Because what it shows me is that when I've shared the gospel and it's not well received or it's not received at all, or if it's received and then it doesn't work out like it's supposed to, we talked about this last week, I get offended. Like, Lord, I, I, prayed, I prayed that you would have me do your will, and I did your will, and I don't like the results. And it's dangerous, because what that means is that it shows that I have bought into the lie that I have anything to do with anyone else's salvation. We can shine the light. To be clear, we can shine the light. We can reflect the light. But we are not the source of the light. And once I buy into that lie that I have some sort of control over somebody's salvation, over somebody's anything, once I, once I buy into that lie, well, there's this domino effect of deception that takes place. And here's the kicker. It's not even my lie. It's not even mine. I know that when I lie, when I, when I commit a lie, that there's at least a dozen more to follow to cover up for that first lie. And it just builds and builds and builds until the darkness starts creeping in and finally I cry out to Jesus, help! And he shows me time and time again and again that these lies grow in the darkness but die in the light of truth. And the same goes for the lies of the enemy. They die in the light of truth. As I spoke with my friend, we decided that our prayer ought to be this, Lord, show me the areas in my life where I have bought into the lie. And when I received those words this morning, and again, those words were these, when you find time to ask the question. So, you know, just real quick, if somebody walks up to you and says, hey, when you find time to ask the question. <laughs> that's how I felt this morning. When I received those words, and I asked myself, what does that mean? Well, I know now that it means that when I find time to ask the question, where in my life have I bought into the lies of the enemy, that those lies begin to die in the light of the truth. Amen. If we follow Jesus for some time, it becomes easier to be honest. 
Dishonesty is not a prevalent struggle of mine these days. It's just not. But I heard something interesting in a recovery meeting in regard to the enemy. Somebody said this, that he is cunning, baffling, and patient. And he doesn't have to get you to lie. He'll just lie to you. And he's good at it. However, Jesus says this, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Friends, we know what the enemy wants for us. And we know what God wants for us. How do we stay in the light? We pray and we listen. We read the word and we ask, Lord, where in my life have I bought into the lies of the enemy? Because again, one more time, friends, many of us in here, we don't currently struggle with dishonesty. But that doesn't mean that there's not a force in the world that is out there prowling and waiting to deceive you. I like to, to end every week with a, some kind of a challenge or a charge going forward. And this, this is it this week. Pray. Listen. Be in the word. And ask, Lord, where in my life have I bought into the lies of the enemy? They're not ours. Half the time, they're not ours. Cunning, baffling, and patient. Just waiting, looking for that little opening in the armor. Waiting for that, that moment that you're not being diligent in your prayer life, waiting for that moment that you're not being aware, and it just gets in there. It just gets in there. Can I, I'm not, I shouldn't ask you if I can share something. I'm gonna share something with you. <laughs> Months ago, Months ago, we partnered with uh, Sequoia to bring Jay into Springville and to uh, share a youth group. And, uh, and it all sounded so good. And Chris warned me, the kids are, he said, the kids are going to love it. It's the adults who are going to give you problems. And what I didn't expect was for me to be one of those adults. And I say that because this a few weeks ago, and, and, I, and I shared it with Jay, we, we meet very frequently and, and we, we sharpen one another. And I told him I just had something so vile fall out of my mouth a few weeks ago. I, I noticed that, uh, that there's a lot of kids at Sequoia and a handful of them that, that I would see here on a regular basis. And I got mad. I got mad that my prayer was being answered. <laughs> 
And I said it so many times that it doesn't matter if it's Lighthouse or if it's Sequoia or if it's First Baptist or the Naz or Church of Christ or the Catholic Church up the road. It doesn't matter because we're all a part of the body of Christ. And I just said, guys, let's do this together. Can we just please show unity in the body of Christ? And Chris said, be careful. Some adults are not going to love this. And I was that adult. And here's what happened a couple of weeks ago. I said out loud to myself, but out loud, I said, well, what's going to happen to my church? Did you catch that one word? My church. And I heard it. And I prayed on it. And I said, that's a lie of the enemy. We spent so much time in prayer wondering how Kara and I would move forward as we stepped into this new role here and how Kara would step out of youth ministry and who was going to step in because it's hard. Because we're a small church, we're a small town, and no one wants to go work in a small town. Everybody wants to work somewhere big and shiny with a nice paycheck, and we just don't have those things to offer. We just have ministry to offer. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and God said, I hear you, and here's your answer. And I said, thank you. It's not quite what I wanted. <laughs> that wasn't my lie, though. Because if my, if my heart posture was correct going into the prayer... Something between then and receiving God's answer deceived me and said that you, you are the head of this church. Wow. That, what a, what a lie. And I caught it and I prayed on it and I talked to Jay and, and we cried and we laughed because it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. But that wasn't my lie. We've, we've done work in prayer and in person in this community to step towards unity in the body of Christ. And that enemy who is cunning and baffling and patient waited. He waited. And then he just sprinkled a little bit of deception in, into my, my thought patterns. And I came out as ugliness and ingratitude. His first five verses button up by saying, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, the darkness is trying to overcome the light inside you. I don't care if you've been following Christ for five minutes or five years or 50 years. He's waiting for you to let your guard down. Now we know, we know who the ultimate victor is. Christ wins. But when we give the enemy a foothold, we hurt and we don't have to. This week, Pray. Listen. Be in the word. And ask yourselves, Lord, where in my life have I bought in to the lie of the enemy? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you. God, and we ask that you would just break our hearts wide open to be receptive to your goodness, God. Lord, I pray over everyone in this room today and in all the lives that we may touch that we would be encouraged 
to seek you out in prayer and to seek you out in silence that we might hear your voice. And God, I pray that we would be aware of where we've fallen for the lies of the enemy. God, that we can offer offer those lies to you that they might die in the light of your truth. We thank you, God, so much for all that we have. And Lord, we just pray that we would be your vessel. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.